It's another Tuesday, which means the show that helps you grow, Doable Discipleship, is back. It's the subtitle that will not die because we love it so much. <laughs> yeah. My name's Doug Jones, and over here to my right is Jason Wheeland. Yeah. We're here. The most beautiful man in podcasting. Well, uh, <laughs> I will leave that to our listeners <laughs> to decide. Reply. <laughs> Great reply. <laughs> uh, I'm talking about inner beauty, of course. Anyway. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Real quickly, before we get any further, I've got to tell you about discovering the story of reality with Greg Kokel, a special event happening here at Saddleback Church on the 21st of March, which will be, I think, from the release of this episode, will be next Wednesday? Yes. Uh, just check your calendar to be sure. It's that a I'm Wednesday. About that. It's know. Wednesday, March 21st. Uh, if you've ever wondered or have anybody in your life who's wondered, what's Christianity exactly? How do I know I can believe this stuff? Does it actually make any sense? Or is this just a bunch of ancient superstition, that kind of stuff? You've got that guy at work. You've got that sister or brother, that person in your family or that, that friend of yours. Man. Yeah, the delivery guy that is for some reason always debating yeah. <laughs> the merits of Christianity. With hey, you me. order a pizza, you get it, a debate. It's yeah. a- the point is, yeah, the debate's free. The point is, if you've got anybody in your life or if you are somebody who's got questions about the faith that you've never really been able to get good answers to, I want to encourage you to either come or come and bring somebody with you to this event with Greg Kokel. It's 7 p.m. on March 21st here at the Lake Forest campus in the uh, refinery here. Uh, you can register for that. I'll put a link in the show notes. You must register for that because we've got a pretty good feeling this thing's going to blow out, and I don't want you to get, like, you know, iced out of this event. So I want you to make sure you can get there. So register for the event right away. Um, if you can't make it for whatever reason, you can live stream the event. Go to saddleback.com slash foundations, and you can stream the event live that let's, evening. So let's if, do uh, slash conversations. What did I say? You said slash foundations, which would take them to a page, but not the page, right page. So it's saddleback.com slash conversations. <laughs> Good catch. Yeah. Thank you. That's why we co-host the show and don't just have just a one Just imagine if Doug was doing this by himself, all <laughs> the misinformation None of your links hear. would ever work. <laughs> you know, yeah. You would have given up a long time ago. Uh, anyway, so let's not belabor this. Go to the story of reality with Greg Kogel. Discovering the story of reality with Greg Kogel. Go to saddleback.com slash conversations. Register for this event. Bring a friend or have a viewing party at your house. Watch it with your small group. Whatever you want to do. Uh, there's so many ways to enjoy this thing. And it'll also be on our website after the event. So if you can't go and you can't stream it, you can always watch it after the fact. We'll have it available on our site for a few months afterwards. So that is all. Go to that. Let's intro this episode now. Great. We're continuing a discussion that we started last week on the attributes of God. So we're discussing what are the things, the traits that make God, God. It's a great so way to put it. We started last week talking about what makes God so great. Yes. So the greatness of God. And we talked about that in terms of God's extent or magnitude, like the bigness of God. We mm-hmm. talked about the omnis, God's we omnipresence, did. omniscience, meaning God's all-knowing, all that stuff. Go back, omnip- omnipotence, we can't leave omnipotence out. So go back and make sure you listen to that if you haven't already, because these are going to build. We're, we're taking you on a little bit of a three-part storyline here, so make sure you get that. This week, we're talking about the goodness of God. Yeah. So the, the, the quality, the, 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 um, the things that don't just make God big, but make Him wonderful. And uh, That's I a good feel way like to I put it. can't say anything more about that without I like the wonderfulness. Stealing. Yeah, the wonderfulness of God. Um, I feel like if I say anything more, we're going to be robbing the episode. So we're going to get into that in Listen a lot more in, detail. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so do stick around. We're going to have a very enjoyable conversation in just a second.
And we're back. As we talked about right before, our little uh, intro tune. Um, it's, is that, that's a tune, right? Okay. It's a tune. Great. Is, is we said that we're going to be talking about the goodness of God today. So uh, we're starting off with this question. What does it mean that God is good? And maybe you've heard some songs about it. Maybe you've even sang songs about it. Like, God is good all the time. Puts a song of spirit in this heart of my. I messed up the words up. <laughs> at some point, but anyway. I don't know that song. There's lots of great, okay, lots of great songs about God's goodness. So what does it mean sure. that God is good? Uh, the f- first thing we want to talk about is God is the ultimate paragon or like the highest example of goodness. Um, basically, it's just this idea that that God, if you try to think about good, if you think about, oh, like that is a good person. God is the ultimate example of what could possibly be good. Yeah. And 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 I just want to say as we start this episode, the word good kind oh. of gets diminished nowadays. Yeah, fair point. Like in school, good is a B. Mhm. You think about it, right? Like good as we're talking about it today, as we talk about God's goodness, this his attribute of goodness is we're talking about that he about the value of the word good as it's truly meant to be. It means yeah. the opposite of bad. It means the absence of bad, the absence yeah. of evil, if you will. God is perfectly good. Yeah, perfect um, is almost per- perfect is probably the word you want to put next to it because yeah. good in the sense that Jesus, when Jesus said only my only Father good, yeah. in heaven is good, uh, that's the kind of good we're talking about. Good in the perfect pure sense yes yeah yeah so not just like um he's a good <laughs> yeah that movie was good not great good yeah. no no not like yeah that. that's not what we're talking about um so as you said he's the ultimate example of goodness but he's also he does not <clears throat> merely possess good qualities he is the very definition of goodness like we were talking about in the standard by which all good is measured and that's an important point yeah um so <clears throat> All of our sense of goodness, our our complete understanding of what is good in this world, it really when you when it breaks down to it, is measured against the standard of God's goodness because yeah. it is God's goodness in which that word is even defined, in yeah. which the value of goodness is even defined. Yeah, um, you kind of you kind of wonder if there's like a chicken or the egg thing there. Do you ever? It's it is a little hard like, to think, but yeah. So what about the que- like the question of okay is so does that mean if God is the embodiment or the or the you know the perfect personification of good, mm-hmm. uh, what does that mean that things that God does like God is good because He does only good things, or does it mean that um, so is God good because He only does good things, or are those things good because God does them? Like, do you, does that make sense? I would say the latter is what I would be prone to to yeah. answer because God's goodness rests in his character, not in his actions. Right. Right? So even if God did nothing, he would still be good. Yeah. It's a, good in every action that comes, everything that he enacts is good because of his goodness. Yeah, like we look at people and we think, oh, that's a pretty good person. because, yeah. And we say that because they probably... As far as we can tell, they they tend to do 
good things, like good mm-hmm. deeds. Yeah, it's all based in kind of. Whereas action. with God is different because God, like goodness, is like the the core of his. It's the core of his character. I would almost even say those things aren't different. To say that God is good and do, God does good are almost indistinct. Like, yeah, because there's not good. There's not God here and good over here, and those two things are really connected. It's literally those two things overlap. God is good, and yeah. goodness is God. Exactly. So it's almost like you can't ask that question in a in a way. I don't yeah. know what I'm doing. With my you hands formed here. a paradox. This doesn't really. <laughs> good job. <laughs> anyway. Anywho, anything um, else on that? So as we said, he's the standard by which all good is measured. But also, his goodness never uh, diminishes or decreases mm. or or lessens in right. in its goodness. Um, he he maintains his goodness, and that's something I think we'll talk about. A little bit later too, but it's important to know that he's never like has a good day and has a bad day. Yeah, it's it's his goodness is 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 constant. Yeah, well, that's a theme that's going to actually cut through today. We can talk entirely. about it now. so I think we can talk about it now because right. it's gonna it's gonna impact everything else we talk about the constancy of God, the yeah. word you just used, or the immutability of God. The idea that God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He doesn't he doesn't change. We will touch on that with some more detail later, but yeah, yeah, I think that's an important one that kind of informs everything that we plan to say today. Good. Anything else on that? Uh, well, I mean, all the rest of everything we're going to be talking about flows out of this. So, all right, yeah. So let's let's see. Let's it. dive let's in. Time release here. All right. So let's talk about some attributes that flow from God's goodness. Again, last week we talked about greatness. Today we're talking about goodness, the qualitative. So instead of thinking God in terms of the quantity of God, the bigness of God, today we're talking about the qualitative look at God. That's a good way to put it. That just popped into my head out of nowhere. I you know, know before we said like his wonderfulness, but I like the qualitative. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. I'm sure some theologian will bust me for it in the comments or but anyway, anyway. <laughs> uh, the first of the of the qualities or the attributes that flow from God's goodness that we want to talk about is the the attribute which is called God's holiness. Mm-hmm. And this is a big one. Many people would say that the holiness of God is perhaps the most distinguishing character trait about him, the most distinctive thing about God. It is the definition of holiness. Well, it's kind of easy to say that because that's I mean, holiness touches on a few different attributes of God. Yeah. But primarily holiness is the idea that God is completely separate or other than anything else in existence and anything else that he's made, that God is distinct from creation. It's one of the, that's one of the truths about God that, or the teachings of, of God in the scripture that defeats the pantheistic idea that God is everything and everything is God. The very fact of God's holiness says that God is, God is very definitely not the same as everything else. He's something completely different. So it's the transcendence of God. It's the perfect, the perfectness that you were talking about earlier, the purity yeah. of God, that God is completely distinct from his creation. So it touches on a lot of different things. You've got like elements of purity and, and all that stuff in there. But at rock bottom, it's this idea that nothing and no one compares with God. He is unlike anything else because he transcends all those other Everything else that exists was made by God. God alone is the the eternally existent one, and there's nothing like him. I think that's I think that's important too. As you think about things like angels and stuff like that, is they're they're different. Yeah, it's a completely different because God's holiness make is is exactly what you were saying. It makes him that sort of distinct from everything else. Yeah, yeah, good. First uh, Samuel two two says, "No one is holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God." Uh, there's also a teaching in, so that, that gets at the the otherness or the separateness of God, the holiness, but there's also the the truth that um, we find in the scripture, which is an interesting one, that 
Um, God is so holy and so set apart and so transcendent that no created being can even look upon God. And we see that repeated actually a couple times in the scriptures. First uh, Timothy 6.16, I'll read now, talks about this. But then you also have this um, being touched on when Moses and God have that intimate, yep. intimate moment where Moses says, I want to see your face. And God says, well, too bad, you'll die. <laughs> <laughs> Instantly. But yeah. uh, he says, I will kind of protect you. I'll cover you in the crack of the rock, and then I'll pass by. And what all that meant, we're not, I mean, there's, there's lots that could be read into that and wondered about. Um, and then you also have, um, well, actually we're gonna touch on this in a minute. So let me, let me not shoot. Let me, let me not throw that out there just yet. We'll come back to that. But let's read, uh, first Timothy six sixteen. It says he alone can never die. And he lives in light so brilliant that no human can approach him. No human eye has ever seen him nor ever will. <laughs> this is Paul talking in the yeah. new Testament. So that's, he's, he's, there's a re- repetition of this theme about God, that God is so transcendent that no other created thing can enter fully into the presence of God in the sense of like, like, um, you know, there, there's only a certain, there's only a certain proximity that you can get into the presence of God before it becomes too much for any created thing to bear. Yeah. I guess it's just the power of his glory. Yeah. It's like, it's just overwhelming. It's kind of like that. It's like, it's like that light that's so brilliant. You cannot look into it. It's like, you don't look into the sun because it's just too brilliant. Yeah. Uh, and if you think as must be true that the sun pales in comparison to its creator, the the ultimate source of all light and glory and goodness like it's easy to see why that would be uh quite undoing <laughs> for lack in of all a, senses undoing word. yeah i don't know like of yeah. your life yeah <laughs> sure um i think just uh, yeah i yeah on that in kind of wrapping up a little bit this idea of his holiness is is we get the sense that in, of praise, you know, as as you as as we call God holy, holy, holy. Yeah, we see that picture in the scripture, right? And there's just something so powerful about worshiping His holiness. Yeah, you know. Yeah, and and um, let's end the holiness discussion by saying uh, you should go and study this topic of holiness some more. We know we're not doing it justice right now because it's again like a defining quality of God that could be that could be. Um, Multiple you know, episodes. You could dive probably. into that for days and days and weeks and months and years, the rest of your life, and still not reach the, the depth of God's holiness. Um, but we're just touching on it today. So we encourage yeah. you to go and investigate all of these attributes more. Agreed. All right. Let's go on. Um, so we talked about his holiness. Our next uh, point that we wanted to hit on, next attribute, is his righteousness. And what we mean by righteousness is that God is morally perfect. Mm-hmm. God is morally perfect. That means he can't make wrong decisions. Um, he doesn't uh, give in to temptation. He is morally perfect. Yeah. Um, so, so everything he does, essentially, it, 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 what we're talking about is everything he does is right. Yeah. Um, and there's some elements to that, but let's head on this ver- on this verse first. And Psalm one forty five seventeen says, "The Lord is righteous in everything he does." He is filled with kindness. So what we're getting at here is that he is the living personification of of moral virtue. Mm. Um, and I, I think this can go in some different ways when you talk about um, that he is morally perfect in his righteousness. But what we're getting at at the end, at the end of it, and we'll talk about this at the very end of the episode when we talk about the personal um, 
applications and stuff like that with this. But I think it's important to hit on this here hmm. is that when we trust God is we can trust that he is right in all he does yeah, and that he won't lead us astray. He's not trying to trick you. He's not trying to, you know, be deceitful or anything. But yeah. when you put your trust in him, you trust that he is morally perfect. He does not lie. He does not cheat. Yeah. He is... And it's it said in this verse, he is filled with kindness, and it yeah. spills out in his moral virtue. Like it's a, right. it just it's a part of who he is. Yeah. Um, and the, and that goes into our next episode where it talks about his personal nature. Is that we is when we think about God in his moral virtue, we think of it in a personal way. Right. Um. So let's just. I, it, and there's a great verse that we want to hit on right here, too. Yeah. In Deuteronomy 3.24, he is the rock, his deeds are perfect. Everything he does is just and fair. He is a faithful God who does no wrong. How just and upright he is. Yeah. Um, how just and upright he is. Yeah. These are, this whole verse is filled with just his, his great attributes. Yeah. But I, I think it's just important to hit on the, his righteousness is a huge part of what it means that he is good. Yeah. His goodness dictates or or entails that everything that he does is good and yeah. righteous. That's kind of what righteousness is. Yes. And then I love the end of this verse says how just and upright he is, which is actually a perfect, that just like tips us <laughs> into perfectly the, yeah. into the next one, which is uh, God's justice. Yeah. One of the attributes that flows from God's goodness is that he is just. He is uh he always acts justly. Um, so since God is both holy and righteous, and since he's the all-knowing and all-powerful and all-present creator that we talked about last week, that means that he alone can act and is qualified to act as the ultimate keeper of justice within his creation. Uh, he's built creation on, and Rick's talked about this before, mm-hmm. and lots of people have, He's he has fundamentally built his creation upon certain moral laws that... Uh, this creation that he made was a reflection of his character. Mm-hmm. And um, and along those lines, it means that in order to exist optimally in his creation, we must obey not just the physical laws that he's established, but that the moral laws are there to, to, to uh, preserve goodness within his creation as well. Yeah. Uh, so because he's righteous... Um, not only does he, not only did he found the universe on these moral laws. Not only do these moral law, not only are these, are these moral laws grounded in his own character, but because of his righteousness, he also faithfully protests against evil. And when we look at when we look at the scriptures, we see God pushing back against evil behavior and evil hearts all the time, within his own people, the nation of Israel, and with those on the outside as well. With believers in the New Testament who've trusted Christ, there's mm-hmm. this ongoing process. Um, and we also know that God's committed to. Uh, in the end, fully wiping out evil and banishing evil from his creation, that he wants to remove evil once and for all uh, in the end of the story. And for more on that, go back and check out the End of the World As You Know It episode. I, I think it's episode 24 or something like that. Did I put that in here? You you did. That's some Maybe it's, it's later, later on. We'll come in back the notes. Yeah. But go back and check that one, because we talk about the justice of God in that episode. Episode 27. 27. Great. Uh, and we talk about kind of this this whole idea that God will ultimately um, bring justice to bear in his creation, and that he actually, mu- if he is good, and he is righteous, and he is all these things that we've talked about, um, he alone is able to, and in a sense, because of his character, he must follow through on on, on doing justice. Yeah, I think there's a big 
sense, you know, like there's a lot of people who question God's either his justice or his ability. Hmm. Like when they see things happen that they don't agree with in the world or things that you right. have, like, you know, if God was fair, if God was just, or if God was powerful, he could do it. Yeah. And so like when you tie all these qualities together, specifically his omnipotence, which we talked about last week yeah. and his justice and what we'll talk about next with his love is these all tie in together in this God that we can trust, yeah. um, who is greater than us, who knows better and yeah. is a God of justice. Justice will be served. Yeah, it will prevail. Yeah. yeah. Because he will prevail. Yeah. All right, Psalm 76, 8 through 9. We've got a couple verses on this. This is the first one. It says, From heaven you sentenced your enemies. The earth trembled and stood silent before you. You stand up to judge those who do evil, O God, and you rescue the oppressed of the earth. So this is a good picture of how we, sometimes we think of God's justice as a terrible thing. But again, God's justice is an, an outcropping of his goodness. Mm-hmm. A good God must must uphold justice. And and I like that this verse actually pairs his justice with rescuing the oppressed of the earth. Yeah. That you cannot um you you can't really have one without the other. Because evil is done not just in a vacuum, but evil is done from one person to another. So God has to act as the intermediary and the final decider of what is right and what is wrong and um and the just reward for for all that is done. Yeah, and his justice does not have to be felt or met out on this earth mm. yeah. in our lifetime. Like, you know, like, he has eternity, he's not on our time scale. <laughs> exactly, yeah, yeah, for sure. Jeremiah 9.24 <clears throat> says, But those who wish to boast should boast in this alone, that they fully, excuse me, that they truly know me and understand that I am the Lord who demonstrates unfailing love and who brings justice and righteousness to the earth and that I delight in these things. I, the Lord, have spoken. So again, we have this combo going on here. We talks about unfailing love, talks about bringing justice, talks about righteousness. These are all mashed together. So you can see how these four big attributes we're talking about today are so intertwined where we can sometimes think of them as distinct. It's a gorgeous tapestry in which God has <laughs> interweaved these attributes and yeah. they fit perfectly together. Yeah. For us, it can be hard. Sure. But for God, it works perfectly. Yeah. We're, we're trying to compartmentalize things. We're always thinking about like this thing over here, this thing yeah. over here. But for God, this is a, there's this perfect balance. It's of, his being. Uh, there's a fullness that it's exists yeah, in God that we can't It's his being, get. exactly. Yeah. Um, so. Uh, and I just segued you. Yes, perfectly. As we hinted at, uh, the the final attribute that we're going to be uh, touching on today is is love. Mm. In 1 John 4, 16, we know how much God loves us, and we have put our trust in his love. God is love, and all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. Wow, you nailed that. That was That's an easy phrase to like get garbled up there, hey, hey, to live uh, love bouncing around. <laughs> it's it's all those years of acting training has ah, gotten well it, done. the diction, <laughs> anyway. Um, so that verse in 1 John 4, I mean, it really just drives this home. Yeah. Um, but let's break this down a little bit. Sure. God is love. So what we're saying is that he desires and he seeks to bring about the greatest possible good for all others. Or, or or for others, for all others. Yeah, which is all, both are true for others and for all. Exactly. Others. So he desires and he seeks to bring about the greatest possible good for others, all others. Yeah. Um, Wait, we might. I mean, that might be a pretty different different definition of love than what a lot of people operate under daily. Well, the song says, "What is love? 
Yeah, begs the question. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but I think a lot of us think of love in terms of like preference, something that you like a lot. A feeling. Or yeah. it's a feeling, it's a, it's a certain emotional disposition to another person or, you know, a dog or something like that. Yeah. So we, we throw the word love around. We've talked about this in previous episodes, but I think it bears repeating um, that God's love is a lot richer, stronger, uh, and it just has a much greater magnitude than that, which we'll, which we'll break down as we go. Yeah, God, His love extends to all of creation. Yeah. So, He has never made anything or anyone that He doesn't love. Yeah. Or else, why would He make it? <laughs> yeah. But it, and, it, and that doesn't just mean that He looks at it and goes, how nice. Yeah. It means that He, he looks at it and is filled with a constant desire to bring about good within it and to make it good. Yes. uh, To help it be all that he envisioned it to be when he made it in the first place. So this whole, the crux of this point is really about God's desire to bring about goodness. Yes. Um, And there's more to say, but I'll leave it to you. Um, yes, so just some some sub-points under this, is, is that love is essential to God. God is a personal God, and we see that in his relationship within the Trinity. Yeah. Um, in, in love is kind of the under, the overall essence that, um, that makes up this relationship. Yeah. Um, God he made us in order to love us. Mm-hmm. He did not make us for his entertainment. Yeah. He made us to love us. Like that's that's the that's the crux of the story of of mankind and all creation. Yeah, is he made us to love us? He made us because he wants to spend eternity with us. Yeah, and God's chief goal for his creatures is that they become good, yeah. not merely comfortable, not merely happy, and that's a big thing. And uh, is is his love isn't just based around how we feel, yeah, but it's based around. Um, how we grow and who we are, right? Yeah. Because as Pastor Rick likes to say, is, is we take our character with us to heaven. We don't take, you know, our accomplishments, achievements. We don't take our money. We don't take our know, facade. Our, yeah, exactly. Yeah. We don't take anything with us into heaven, but our character. Right. Um, so God wants us to grow. And in First Peter 1, 15 through 16, it says, but now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say, you must be holy because I am holy. Yeah. Yeah, and that gets at this idea that God is trying to get us to something. He's trying mm-hmm. to, he's building us into the good creation that we once were before the fall, and in some ways even greater than we were before the fall. That's a whole other episode. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so I, I think we should say that God does want to bring about happiness in the lives of his creatures, but that he doesn't do that in a false or empty or shortcut kind of way. I mean, of course God wants ha- ultimate happiness and joy for his for for us, for his people. That's what heaven essentially is. It's the place where all of that is fully fulfilled. And so there's complete joy and happiness in the in the closeness that we experience with God and with others, but it's not this false happiness that we uh, sometimes try to go for in our lives by creating comfort or insulating ourselves against issues, problems, that kinds of that kind of stuff. But God is actually after something much grander and glorious than that. Uh, to take 
to take the words out of C.S. Lewis's mouth, and we're going to quote him in just a minute on something separate, but um, C.S. Lewis calls this the weight of glory, mm-hmm. that there is something that God is attempting to accomplish inside us that is not an easy thing, um, but it is a good thing. It may not always be the most comfortable and, and luxurious experience for us in this life, but that it's building to something that is of greater good than we can possibly imagine. Paul talks about that, yeah. right? You know, like the suffering that we go through today is nothing, it pales in comparison to the glory that's in store. So we have to accept that God is doing something bigger and better and yet also harder than we might attempt on our own. Yeah, and it's like what you were saying, is God doesn't promise us a plush life. Right. But he does say that we can have joy you know, when we trust in him and when we grow in him, we will grow in our joy. Even if our, even if our happenstances and our situations aren't necessarily happy ones, like God's love for us is far beyond the happiness that is, is temporary. Right. God's love for us can be felt in the joy that comes as we grow in the spirit. And yeah, and I think part of where that joy comes from is the obviously the Holy Spirit giving that on a supernatural level, but also from a perspective that we gain when we look at our troubles, we look at our trials, we look at our tribulations, and we realize that though this may not be fun, it is good. Yeah. Uh, that though pain is not enjoyable, it can bring about an eternal good for us, an eternal harvest of blessing, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's talk quickly. We'll, we'll look at Deuteronomy 8.5, and then we'll move on to a, a quote that I'm going to read. It says, just as parents, uh, excuse me, just as a parent disciplines a child, the Lord your God disciplines you for your own good. So this gets at that idea that God is trying to shape us into something over time, uh, which we'll talk more about in just a second. But let me read, uh, um, let me read a quote from C.S. Lewis. Actually, let me say a couple other things before we do that. When God created... Um, we're taking it back to kind of the beginning now, because I think it's important for us to kind of revisit the big picture mm-hmm. so that we see where this, because we're just in a sliver of the big picture. Oh, yeah. Um, but but the big picture has big implications for us. So when God created, uh, Rick has said this all the time too, God created because he wanted a family. Mm-hmm. He's creating a family. He's building to something. And when we turn to God as believers and we said, God, we're going to surrender to you. We're going to receive salvation through Christ. We're going to submit to the process of growth, which is what we call sanctification in the church. We're going to submit to your kingship, to your authority. We're going to place ourselves under your direction and let you be our God. When we did that, we decided to submit to this process of growth that is sometimes hard, not always easy. We're entering into a process of transformation through the Holy Spirit. And as I've said, that, that process in this life is not always without trouble or without pain. Mm-hmm. Uh, this quote from C.S. Lewis, it's from uh, C.S. Lewis's classic work, The Problem of Pain, which is a great one. Uh, this will take a minute or two to read, but I think it it puts this so well. Um, as with everything C.S. Lewis wrote, his English is a little um, upper echelon. So we'll take the time, you know, after we read this to kind of come back and uh, and just kind of bottom line this quote out. Break it down now, y'all. Break it down now. But I think you will find, as I do, this this passage gets at the love of God and his desire mm-hmm. to shape us in a way that I think few have few have been able to capture. Here's what he says. <clears throat> we might have learned even from the prophets, excuse me, even from the poets, that love is something more stern and splendid than mere kindness. Kindness, merely as such, cares not whether its object becomes good or bad, provided that it escapes suffering. If God is love, he is, by definition, something more than mere kindness. He has often rebuked us, 
and condemned us, but he has never regarded us with contempt. He has paid us the intolerable compliment of loving us. Come back to that intolerable compliment. We are, not metaphorically, but in very truth, a divine work of art. Over a sketch made idly to amuse a child, an artist may, take, uh, may not take much trouble. But over the magnum opus of his life, the work which he loves, he will take endless trouble and would doubtless thereby give endless trouble to the picture if it were sentient. One can imagine a sentient picture after being rubbed and scraped and recommenced for the tenth time, wishing it were only a thumbnail sketch whose making was over in a minute. In the same way, it's natural for us to wish that God had designed us for a less glorious and less arduous destiny. But then we're wishing not for more love, but for less. What I love about this quote, he, he draws it all to a fine point there at the end. And it all comes down to that, but then we're wishing not for more love, but for less. When we, when we ask of God to make our life easier or to take away the troublesome process of growth and transformation— we're asking God to love us not more, but less. Because love love desires, as we've said, to bring about the greatest good and not the greatest comfort, not the greatest, not the greatest uh, you know, um numbness and happiness. Exactly, but good as but we defined true it. True goodness. Yeah. Yes, rich, real biblical goodness. And I love that he he describes loving us as the, the intolerable compliment that yeah, God gave like us. <laughs> that it's this it's this tremendous oh, God loves me. <laughs> yeah, it's like you know, it's just like being a child. You know, it's the yeah. same thing. It's the same thing with parents and children. It's like when I look at I, I've got my two kids, Amelia and Jude, and I think, uh, and you've got one on the way, and you're yep. probably pondering some of these things too. Um, I when I think of my kids, if you put two options on the table for me. I'll tell you how I'll choose. So if one option is my child can be um, a virtuous and good person who strives to do good in this world and do good to others and follow God, and even if that ends in pain for them, even if that ends in lifelong struggle for them, my desire for them is that they become good people. Now, if I have a second option, that would be something like they'll never do anything worthwhile. They'll be self-focused their entire lives and self-centered, um, but they'll have a good time while they're doing it, and then they'll die. Um, one of those options may be much more challenging, much more painful, and much more difficult. The, the option to become good is a much more challenging one, but I would desire for my children to be good over happy any day of the week. Mm-hmm. Because in the end, I believe in a God who is good, and I believe that that goodness is the, is the underlying fabric of reality. I want my kids to be good, not just happy. And I think that's true of just about any parent. Yeah, and in, in what we have to remember is that everything in this world is trying to pull us away from good yeah. and making, and it's trying to make us just be okay with being happy. Right. Like what you're talking about. Yeah, so, the American dream. So it's going to be hard when we try to be good because it's going against everything that the world's going to try to throw at you. Yeah. Um, but as we hopefully have made clear, like it's, it's worth it in the, in, in the long run, because what yeah. we're looking for is not of this world. Yeah. 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 It, in order to become good, you might have to be temporarily unhappy. Yeah. And you might have to be temporarily, um, you might have to suffer temporarily to mm-hmm. become good. 
that's the that's why Jesus called following him taking up your cross. Yeah. Denying yourself and following the him, cost not of discipleship. Come out come on down to my, you know, palatial resort and have fun <laughs> for the rest of your life. No, that's not what Jesus called us to. And we have to, to come down to my spa. <laughs> <laughs> we have to take a sober look at that, I think, yeah. as believers. Totally. Especially especially twenty first century, you know, believers. Yeah. I just wanna drive this home and wrap this point up together. A bunch yeah. of these things I'm about to say we kind of already said already, but it's important to tie this point all together. God's goal is to let us share in his glory that we would become reflections of his goodness. And that's what Doug mentioned earlier when he talked about the process of sanctification. That's the process of becoming like Christ. Yeah. It's not It's not an easy process, but when we yoke ourselves with God, he, he walks with us, yeah. and we can experience the fruits of the Spirit, even though we may face hardships that this world would call hardships. Yeah. Um, it's important to differentiate those two, things that which this world calls good or, ba- or hard versus the things in which God calls good or hard. Yeah. Um, and God loves us just as we are, but he also loves us enough to make us into something more. And I'm sure that's probably something you've heard before, but yeah. the point is worth repeating. Yeah. Um, God loves you just as you are, but he loves you so much that he wants you to grow into the likeness of his son. He wants you right. to grow to be like Christ because Christ was the perfect reflection of what God's goodness yeah. lived out on earth was. Mm-hmm. Um, and, then, and he is transforming us into holy, righteous, just, and loving creatures, the kind of beings who can live in perfect joy with him and with each other forever, like what we talked about in the end of the world, as you know it episode. Yeah. So it's, it's this idea that this that our focus on our life on earth is not the ultimate goal. It's not about, I want to have the happiest life that I could possibly live. It's, I want to live in joy with God for eternity beyond this world. And I'm going to submit to God um, through his spirit and through his process, developing in me the same character qualities that he shows. Yeah. I mean, the, the holiness, righteousness, justice, and love, those are all qualities that are inherent to God that he's building into us. And what a beautiful process that that is. Yeah. Preparing us for an eternity in a perfect place. Um, preparing us for the kind of world that only that kind of person could ever even enjoy. Yeah. And again, episode 27, we talk a lot more about that. So go back and check that out. All right, let's, let's move quickly through these next ones because we don't want to keep you all day. But we're going to talk about how to respond to God's goodness. Uh, particularly these attributes that we've just talked about. First, so because God is holy, I should approach him with deep awe and respect. Um, We have that picture uh, in the calling of, uh, that's Isaiah's calling, right, that we talked about earlier, um, where he enters into the throne room of God, and there are these uh, mighty angels with six wings, and they're flapping around, <laughs> for lack of a more dignified <laughs> word. They're attending to the to the throne of God. Not like Flappy Bird, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it says that, well, l- let's just read it right here. I don't want to, I don't want to paraphrase what I already have written on the sheet. It says, attending him were mighty seraphim, each having six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they flew. They were calling out to each other, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Um, 
And what you have here is this picture of these angelic beings who are in themselves glorious, and we would look at them and just like, these are like, these are beyond us kind of creatures, Mm -hmm. like, you know, really, really remarkable creatures who dwell in the presence of God. And we have this picture of them covering their face and covering their feet, uh, in in essence, shielding themselves from the magnitude of God's presence and the holiness that that he embodies. And so we get this idea that in God's presence, we, we of course can approach him comfortably as our father, as Jesus teaches us in the New Testament, but never forgetting that he's also our holy creator and mm-hmm. king and that we give him the um, we give him the sort of deference and um, respect that he deserves. Um, so I think that's an important one. We, we keep our sense of reverence about God. I yeah, think. I think sometimes when we focus too much on like, I'm a friend of God, mm-hmm. then it becomes easier to be like, well, God's chill with me. Like, you know, yeah. I'll, it's okay. Like, right. but when we remind ourselves of his holiness and the, and that we should approach him with honor and respect, that it keeps, it keeps his, his command in front of us. Yeah. Makes it be like, oh yes, I should, I should, I should obey. Yeah. You know, but know that he loves me, you know? Yeah. And it helps us maintain an attitude of worship, I think, too. That's and a it, good point. Though. And That's it informs our, it. It informs yeah. our prayer life, too. I mean, we're, we're recognizing that the God we're talking to is not just our intimate father. He's also the cosmic creator. Yeah. And, and, and there's a certain, there's a gravity to God that we Definitely. must, what we must never forget. Um, yeah. So, um, and then because God is righteous, I can trust that he will always do the right thing, even when I can't understand it. Mm. That's that's the that's the point behind a bunch of, of 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 popular songs in the Christian canon, like nowadays. Like you got the "Thy Will Be Done" song, um, and then we have the "Your Will Be Done" song that that yeah. we wrote at Saddleback. Yeah, um, and it's just it's this idea that that God, I know you're good. I know your plan is good. Mm. Uh, I don't unfully understand it right now. I don't fully understand why I'm being put through. Of the ringer, like I am, but um, if we can trust in God's righteousness, we can trust um, that God is is right. Yeah. And when we put our faith in Him, we can put our faith in He who is right. Yeah, and that He has all the attributes that we've discussed over the last two weeks. That yeah, His perspective is bigger. His knowledge is bigger. Exactly. His power is bigger. His righteousness. Is, so God has everything that He needs to make all the perfect decisions. So. I think we touched on it last week, but if there's ever a moment where like what God seems to be leading into you or leading you into seems to not make sense to you from your perspective, yeah. trust that God knows better and, exactly. and go with it. Trust him in that. That's good. All right. Because God is just, I can rest in the knowledge that he will one day abolish evil once and for all. Uh, and this is a, this is a both old, but especially New Testament principle that um, justice belongs to God and that we can, we don't have to desire to make right every wrong in this life. Although there's a there's a goodness in seeking social justice and things like that. There's a certain element to where when it comes to our personal, when we're wronged personally, or when someone does evil to us, we as Christians don't have to be retaliatory in the way that we act. We can entrust justice to God and say, God, I'm going to let you work on this person. I'm going to let you make the decisions about this person. And I'm going to trust you to ultimately do justice. We don't have to take that upon ourselves. Yeah. Um, that's, this is actually this idea that empowers the turn the other cheek principle exactly. that Jesus taught. Uh, now, of course, that's a nuanced principle. Um, 
that that could be talked about over the course of a full episode. But this idea that we don't have to, we can be otherworldly as Christians by, instead of always seeking to get what's ours, get what's right, and to get what we deserve and all these things, we can step back from that and humbly say, God, I'm going to let you decide what I deserve. I'm going to let you decide to bring to pass what you want in your sovereign plan to happen, and I'm going to let you be the one who deals out justice, and I'm not going to be the one who seeks to do that. Now, I'm not saying that the civil bodies and the and the governing authorities that are established aren't from God, or that we don't seek to see justice happen on this earth, but when Jesus talks about turning the other cheek, he's talking about how an individual believer ought to submit to God's authority and um, act in love rather than retaliation, not that you know, as a culture, as a society, that we shouldn't bring about justice. It's one thing to so seek justice. Different. It's another th- thing to seek revenge. Drop, drop there that you mic. Go. Take there that mic go. off the tripod and Take drop that it. for you. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I won't, because then it'll get messed up. No, don't. Um, we can't afford any new that's ones. That's true. <laughs> um, okay, and then finally, because God is love, I can walk with confidence knowing that everything he does in my life is for my benefit and for his glory. Mm. Um we talked a lot about God's love, so I don't feel like we have to spend too much more time on it. Yeah. But um, when we talk about the personal nature, as we walk in our relationship with God, as we grow in our relationship with God, as we spend our, our, our quiet times with God and spend time with Him every day mm-hmm. and build in that relationship, grow and deepen that relationship, when we base it on His love, we can trust in Him completely. Yeah. Um, and knowing that God is love, God's love for us is never going to go away. Yeah. Um, his love for us is perfect. Then we can come to him with all things. We can confess openly because mm-hmm. his love for us is perfect. We can be honest with him in all things and we can trust in him in all things. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. Okay, let's wrap up with some doable steps because we always like to give you something that you can go to work on right away. A um, couple things we'll just touch on briefly. Uh, the first one is there's a great book by a guy named Arthur Pink called The Attributes of God. Uh, you can find this on Amazon. I'll link it in the show notes for you. Um, and in a couple weeks, we're actually going to be introducing kind of with a more full-fledged episode our new Saddleback Books uh, page, saddleback.com slash books. You can find this one and many others there as well. But again, the book is called Attributes of God by Arthur Pink. Check it out. It'd be a great way for you to f- more fully and and deeply explore these attributes. So check that one out for sure. Uh, another one is on the 15th of March, we've got Night of Worship happening here at Saddleback Lake Forest. Uh, do you know what time that starts? Seven? It's probably seven. I'll put a link to it in the show notes so you can go and uh, check that out on the Saddleback calendar. It's and get also is live streamed or you can watch it after the fact online. So yeah, you can do it. So if you're far away, feel free to do that. But if you're close, I highly recommend that you come in person because there's just something about a night of worship, being in the worship center with your fellow believers. You know, if you can't do it, you can't do it. But if you can do yeah. it, you should do and it. And it's a couple of weeks before Easter, so this one will be really uh, oh, powerful, yeah. too. Yeah, it will. Um, which leads us to the final uh, doable step we wanted to talk about. Journey with Jesus um, is um, an art installation trail that we have down at our Rancho Capistrano campus. And it's open all year round, but it really gets pushed and emphasized around Easter. Um, it's it's a path that walks through 15 um, events in Jesus's life in the week leading up to his crucifixion and resurrection. So we highly encourage you to check that out. Again, it's it's a trail that's open all day, so you can walk it yourself. We have booklets down there that are 
are, are free for you so you can walk the trail yourself um, or you can download the journey with jesus app and you can listen to a guided tour from pastor rick um or because we love you guys so much we have all these options um if you don't live locally um you can go on YouTube and watch the YouTube 360 experience of the trail. So um, it shows each piece, and you can listen to Pastor Rick's audio on each of those. And we will link to the show notes and all that. But it's saddleback.com slash journey with Jesus has all those. We also offer guided tours yeah, uh, for a Easter. couple days yeah. around the around Easter weekend. So you can check those out as well. That is so great. So many wonderful things. Guys, we tell you every week we love you. But it's here's true. the thing. We actually do. We mean it. Jason kind of beat me to it there. <laughs> I said it's true, but okay. <laughs> yeah, we do. Wherever you are, wherever you're listening from or watching from, we want you to know we pray for you. We care for you. Uh, we hope that you find these episodes helpful. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. So take the time to email us if you you know if you want to. Take the time to drop a comment below. Ask us questions that are burning in your mind or things that you're wondering about. Or just Ask say us hi. about. Yeah, say hi to us. <laughs> Ask us about ways that Saddleback can serve you better. Um, we're always looking to find ways to make sure that your needs are met. So wherever you are, and uh, whatever capacity that you're, whatever capacity in which you're connected to Saddleback, we don't care. We love you anyway, and we want to keep uh, doing our best to help you grow. Because what show, show is that this? helps you grow? <laughs> <laughs> that is right. All right, we do love you, and we thank you for watching or listening. We'll see you next time. If you're a podcast listener and you enjoyed this episode, consider giving us a rating or a review on iTunes. If you do, you'll help other people find us in the future. And if you're thinking, hey, listening's great, but is there a way I can watch these episodes? Yeah, there is. Subscribe to the Saddleback Church YouTube channel for video versions of these conversations, plus lots of other video content. And if you're already watching us on YouTube, subscribe to the podcast so you can listen in the car or wherever else you go. Lastly, you can always get in touch with us by emailing maturity at saddleback.com. Send us your thoughts, send us your questions, your Bible questions, your life questions, whatever. Who knows, your question just might inspire an upcoming episode. Thanks again for tuning in to Doable Discipleship. I'm Doug Jones, and I hope you'll join us again next week.